Welcome to episode 103 of the Men Who Save Football, the Dundalk FC Fancast. This is a post-match reaction to our 1-1 draw against St. Patrick's Athletic. Now, if we put this, we, I think we better put this in a long-term context. If we put this in, in context, one of, the, one of the kind of reference points for a game against Pats is, if we go back to the 4th of the 4th, 2014, you all probably remember that exceptional majestic goal where we had like 40 passes uh, culminating in uh, Sean Gannon's side foot finish into the top corner. And it was sort of the beginning of Stephen Kenny really taking, you know, League of Ireland football to a new level. Uh, the cohesion, the slickness, the sophistication, the precision, no turnovers, uh, no conceding the ball, no misplaced passes. It was a kind of a, a good sign of what to come and one of the most memorable moments from the Kenny era. Now, we can't perceive that to be the norm. I think we would have to mark that as a particular peak of Dundalk being really, really good at the at the passing game. And we went on to have several other peaks in the, in the subsequent years. We have, since then, had many, many troughs. And you can pick almost anything from last season, and it could be a trough, like failing to beat 10-man Long, Longford, eventually 9-man Longford. And all those, that the hammering at Daly Mount Park, where Jim Magilton came out and basically rubbished the entire squad. So if that's a low point and the, the Pats goal in 2014 was a high point, uh, you would expect us now to perhaps be somewhere near the middle. I think we're, we're actually above that baseline. But we have to be honest, I suppose, Friday's game was nowhere near on a quality level from either side what we would have saw seven, eight years ago when Dundalk were on top of that slick passing game. Would you agree? That is a, a very fair assessment, I think. The game on Friday was a million miles away from that level of quality, and really from both sides. Uh, I thought the number of times possession was just given away, you know, sort of in the middle of the field incredibly cheaply, you know, sort of passes played to nowhere or uh, like given to people sort of immediately in front of them, you know, to the opposition and stuff like that. It was, you know, I think very poor quality. And I think that was something that I think we complained about on the terrace, like sort of vociferously for a large percentage of the game was that Pats were nowhere near, you know, any better than we were uh, and certainly weren't fashioning like any great number of chances or anything like that. And but for the goal that we gave them really at the, you know, an early stage in the match, right, they didn't do anything to really justify the lead. And I think we had more, you know, possession, we had more pressure, we had more chances. None of them clear cut, um, but there was a lot of, you know, balls cheaply given away, bad decision making, you know, people who were, you know, sort of, I don't know, three on three with the opposition and stuff like that. And instead of, you know, managing to uh, squeeze out a shot on target or something like that, you know, was just, you know, sort of kicked a little bit into the corners or, you know, sort of given away in front of goal, you know, this kind of thing. So I think it had all the hallmarks of a low quality game between two, you know, fairly low quality sides. And I think, you know, we have talked again and again about how far we are ahead of expectations and, you know, about how quickly this squad was thrown together. And then we had the, the Stewie Byrne comments, right, about, you know, you shouldn't be able to throw a squad together in six weeks and be, you know, second in the table. Uh, but I think that is looking more like a fair justification, uh, a justified comment, I suppose, on the league at the moment that I think we're very happy to be where we are, you know, and I think, you know, the, the project as it currently stands is doing, you know, pretty good. Can't really have any complaints. but you know, it does look like a little bit of a work in progress and there's definitely some, you know, substantial improvements to be made, I think, from, from where we are right now. 
Uh, at the same time, I think you would probably be happy with the point, right? Given the fact that for you know 60 or 70 minutes, we really didn't show any signs of threatening the goal. Uh, then we got, <laughs> I think, a goal that I, I'm not sure how to describe the goal. I, I mean, for anybody who didn't watch the match, right? I think we had Paul Doyle very deep in defence. Uh, he sort of looked up, managed to chip a ball to Greg Sloggett that you know really got him out of a, a bit of difficulty where he was being pressured by a couple of Pats players. And that set Greg away down the, the right wing. He had one of the worst touches that I think I've seen in modern day football where it was 20 yards ahead of him. Uh, and somehow the Pats players who intercept that contrived to give it back to us. Uh, you know, Hoobin does reasonably well to find Kelly out wide, Kelly cuts inside. And then two, maybe three deflections on the way into the net. You know, it looked up over the, the keeper who can do nothing about it as it sort of drops into the net. I think that was, you know, characteristic of the whole game, really, that, you know, it was, what would you say? It was plagued by deflections and inaccuracy and things like that. Um, and yet we ended up with the ball in the net a couple of times. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, from that perspective, like it felt like uh, it was a draw was a good result. But we then went on to have a couple of really good, you know, chances that we squandered. And that Kelly miss from the header, right? That is like I'm sure he has nightmares about it since then. But he doesn't even have to jump, right? The ball comes to him, you know, it's head height. He's running in an unopposed six yards out and doesn't even make contact, right? That was that was a real shocker. Um, and you can't help thinking that we should have been away up the road with three points in the bag afterwards. But uh, I think a, a draw does keep us well ahead of Pats, right? Six points ahead with a game in hand. Uh, and I think if we happened to make that game in hand count a little bit later on, right, that would um, that would really go a long way to securing European football, which, as we always said at the start of the season, was the objective, right? So I think bigger picture, things still look pretty good. But um, yeah, we, we sort of had to put up with uh, a lot of low quality on Friday. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. It's interesting this idea of you know peaks and troughs. Uh, you, you got philosophical very early because it all depends on your level of scale. Because on on one thing, I think we are on a we are on a crest of a wave. We're on, we're on, we're we're going up, given that the trough last year and of the last few years was so low. Things are definitely rosier. But if you zoom in, then possibly given this season, there's peaks and troughs. And whereas we went through that period where we couldn't, you know, buy a win, and then the Shamrock Rovers win kind of started to put a bit of wind in our sails. You know, if you think about the last three results, the loss to Drogheda, the draw against Chelsea, we're definitely, so depending on the scale you're at, we're in a bit of a trough. But obviously, on the grand scheme of things, the Dunlop project, we're definitely on the up. But yeah, Friday's game, kind of in context, I mean, a, a draw, given that European football is the goal, and we've more or less said that talk of a of a title tilt was kind of a bit, you know, slightly kind of, you know, silly. Um, but um, Europe is the goal, and a draw against um, Pats, given the state of the table, was pretty good. A draw away, you know, in context, that's fine. But the game itself, yeah. Um, I mean, both goals were kind of calamitous in a way. Uh, their goal, um, I mean, the shot was on target. And again, similar to Andy Boyle again, because remember the goal, uh, the goal he was involved with against Strada, um, odd clearances or whatever. I think, Martin, you said at the time that maybe if Andy Boyle had done what he had done last week on Friday, possibly would have prevented the goal. But um, 
I thought we started the game stronger, uh, and then their, yeah, their goal completely came out of nowhere, and then um, they had the upper hand. And I think Dundalk, given our away form, if we fall behind, it's always going to be then a long day. Um, and we had our chances. I mean, Robbie Benson had a really good shot uh, saved by their keeper. Um, Keith Ward had a very tame chance. But I think the issue has been the story of the last few weeks is finishing. I know Martin went on about this in previous ones, but again, yesterday, uh, Friday, um, finishing, I think, seems to be. Because I think given that we've given away two somewhat, somewhat calamitous goals, the defensive unit is fairly solid. Okay, And if you look at goals for and goals against, you know, we're, we're fairly evenly matched with, with, with our rivals around us for the, for the defence. It's the goals for is the big problem. And I think Friday was a good example of that, just not finishing chances. Um, that something going forward is not clicking. Um, and I would have said a draw was a fair result other than the fact that, and, you know, we don't, don't like to, single out players and things like this, but Daniel Kelly's miss was, you know, pretty bad. And given that over the 90 minutes, I would say a draw is a fair result. Uh, as Martin said, two pretty poor sides, not playing particularly well. Point, we all move on. But the win ghosted in front of goals and, and, and I was not taken. But I think finishing might be the big topic of discussion over the last few weeks, which is, I think, defensively despite those odd kind of goals we're fairly rock solid but we're just not putting the ball in the net to stay with the peaks and troughs team i mean daniel kelly recently got player of the month so you know he was uh he was deemed by the national press to be you know the outstanding player in the league i got a goal last night you know i know it took two deflections but it's credited to him and he did what he had to do to get it in the back of the net but as you say, you know, from a player who was in very good form to that miss, and it was it was quite a miss in the 84th minute, which probably would have, you know, got you three points, which on balance, you you, you may have been a little bit fortunate to get. Yeah, it, it just kind of typified that sort of up and down sort of element to the season where consistency has kind of been a problem for almost everybody, but Shamrock Rovers, and that's probably what has them in this commanding position. Like if we talk about... You know, the maybe maybe the team is in something of a mid-season slump a little bit, uh, and we're getting draws where maybe with a little bit more luck you'd get a win, and likewise, you know, for for defeats to draws. But if we look around the table, I mean, up until ninety minutes in last night's games, that point in Richmond Park was looking like a pretty good result because Derry were being beaten by Finn Harps until about 10 minutes to go, then drew level, then got their very, very late injury time winner, which knocks them into, well, us down to third, them into second position. But nonetheless, I mean, Sligo, they also had a European hangover. They were beaten by UCD at home, which is a kind of shock result, but then maybe not so much because you often get those European hangovers. We were hoping that Shamrock Rovers might have a European hangover and we'd maybe get a win in United Park and maybe a win in Richmond Park and we'd be breathing down their necks. Uh, that didn't quite happen. And I suppose, you know, that's fair enough given the opposition they were they were facing. But doubtless in their subsequent European games, more demands will be placed on that Shamrock Rovers squad midweek and you may yet get that European hangover in some of their league fixtures. And, of course, they didn't play, so they, they now have that fixture to come along in the season where also they may be under pressure. So, you know, 
if we look at the table, third is still, you know, when you've only taken one point from your last six, third is not really a calamity. And now we face Finn Harps at home in our next game. I suppose you've mentioned the Stewie Byrne thesis that the league is not particularly strong. Given what we've talked about, about peaks and troughs, where the league seemed to be very, very strong this time, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. Are we just in a season where it, it is sort of Shamrock Rovers are benefiting from consistency of management, consistency of recruitment, and everybody else essentially has a new manager? If we look down the table, Derry have a new manager, Dundalk have a new manager, Pats have a new manager, Sligo have a new manager. So that's the top half of the table, and everybody else is sort of at the beginning of this new project. And, you know, it, it's... Terrible to think the Chamber Rovers may just cruise to another league title without serious opposition. But is the Stewie Byrne thesis that the league is not particularly competitive being borne out? Yeah, well, I think even Rovers themselves, right, have just lost Danny Mandrio and uh, Dara Burns as well, another player, you know, gone this week. I think there was a bunch of the people that sort of we knew were already signed up to go to Italy, right? So uh, I think Abanqua and, uh, and people like that. And so... I think even the emerging talent that was in the league this season is already being shuffled off, right? To the likes of MK Dons and, you know, Lincoln City and places like that. Like, not especially glamorous. <laughs> At least the likes of a bank was going to Udinese or, you know, somebody, I think, with a, what would you say, a, an exciting potential. So um, it, it's hard to see this as anything other than just a continuation of the last few years of, like I said, these players, you know, sort of leaving and leaving and leaving again. And I think... You know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked up Danny Grant, who was the outstanding player, I think, at Bowes a couple of years ago, uh, who went to Huddersfield mm-hmm. and at the moment is playing like under 23s football with Huddersfield and that kind of thing. And you see, like, if people are going to leave the League of Ireland and go to that level, right, if they consider that to be a step up, then I think it's, you know, a, a pretty bad sign for the league at the moment. Now, I know that a lot goes into that in terms of, you know, wages and things like that. And I think for a long time, Dundalk sort of extended European runs, uh, played into a lot of Euro bonuses that went to people, you know, that sort of, I think, kept people in the league rather than them looking at the likes of, you know, sort of Lee 2 or Scotland and things like that, right? It was still an attractive proposition to be a Dundalk player. Um, I think maybe Shamrock Rovers, I think, still have that element, you know, that having won their first round match, right, they're going to get at least uh, a qualifier round for the the Conference League and this kind of thing, right? So they're going to have at least three or four sort of rounds of, of European football. But for everybody else, right, I think, you know, it's it's probably a, a significant financial boost to the likes of Sligo, right, to, to make it through one round. But I think everybody else, right, they're not really looking at, you know, making a fortune from uh, the, the current European runs. And I think that is going to lead to a continuing exodus of, of talent, right? Um, you know, some people are doing a reasonably good job of bringing talent back into the league. Uh, I think ourselves included, but uh, it's definitely, you know, people, I think, shopping around the margins and that kind of thing. And it would be great if the league could just do a bit more to sort of hold on to the, the talent that it's already got. Not to kind of fixate on on, uh, on Shamrock Rovers, a lot was spoken about the very low price for um, Danny Mandrew's release clause, which was 30000 So I know Rovers have probably covered their costs of, of bringing him in, but um, apparently that release clause was so low that it put off some European clubs who were pursuing him because they thought, mm, if you're if you're available at that price, there must be something wrong with you. 
is the league still structurally in a fairly weak position because not many clubs can offer full-time professional football and when they do they offer it at a level of remuneration that's substantially lower than say league one are we forever at a disadvantage when it comes to this notion of not standing in a player's way if they wish to kind of um, pursue their career uh, look, you know when you are bargaining with a european club or a club from the uk do they essentially know that you don't have the strongest hand when being able to make a counter offer to your player and give them a, a a route to a sort of professional career of high prominence and international selection and that sort of thing? That seems to be the case. I mean, if you think about the last few years, like Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk, Cork, even teams at the height of their powers in the league don't stand in the way of players leaving. And it's probably a couple of factors. One is, is kind of almost a kind of a goodwill thing as well, is that the, the, the league has probably such a sense of, of lack of self-worth that comes from everyone, from fans to the clubs themselves, that we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, don't mind us. You go on now, okay? It seems to be a lack of self-confidence to hold on to players because we've seen Dundalk, Cork, Rovers always let players go. And sometimes your, your head kind of spins. And you go, oh, we're letting them go. Um but I think the thing that we won't stand in your way. Um, the other thing is probably yeah, a financial thing, which is less so about signing fees and just more about salaries, which is just something just, you know, clubs, even, you know, the big clubs, um, the salary bill is probably the biggest thing they constantly have to keep an eye on. And if you can feel confident that you can keep going and chop something off the salary bill, then, I mean, even a Shamrock Rovers or a Dundalk at their height of their powers are still financially somewhat at a, on the edge of a precipice at all times. You know what I mean? Um, so even if you've got rich owners and stuff like this, your rich owners aren't mega. We're not talking, you know, uh, Man City, PSG level things. So they'll constantly be looking at the, at the wage bill. So if a club is offering to take someone off your wage bill, often you're like well yeah i think that's that's what i understand you know these clubs even the bigger clubs are always slightly you know you could be a few weeks away or a bad season and no european football away from disaster so yeah i think the league is structurally not in the position um to have the confidence to hold on to these players and i think it's both financial but it's probably also psychological because there's this attitude of we, we won't stand in their way of this great opportunity even if you own their contracts and stuff like this, it's a case of sometimes, um, yeah, we 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 will we'll we'll let them go, um, and it probably is just simply the state of the league. The league is financially not in a case in a state to offer the salaries that other places can offer, so you're always going to lose them. We said this before a few years ago, you know, about players leaving Dundalk and things like this, and the analogy is, well, it's a job, and if another company offered you a higher salary, why would you go? Um, now we've we've had the interesting experience of players going off and then coming back eventually, realizing it isn't so sunny over there. But whilst they were over there, they probably you know paid mortgages and stuff like this pretty handsomely. So um, it is interesting how some big names come back to the league eventually, um, and often you know say well it didn't really work out for me over there, but they still probably made a ball of cash as well while there, which is just the thing I think that the league cannot compete with well i think a couple of years ago as well somebody did a, a feature on league one and league two clubs getting a solidarity payment from the premier league so they were getting like a million pounds sterling right 
before a season ticket is sold or before a ball is kicked or, you know, any contract paid and stuff like that, million quid in the bank to start with. And that is, you know, the fourth tier of English football. And when you're trying to compete against that, right, it's a very difficult challenge, I think, for a League of Ireland club, uh, you know, which generally, like ourselves from a town with, you know, a, a reasonably small population. Uh, and the same goes for, you know, sort of Finn Harps and Sligo and, you know, various other places, right? Um, trying to drum up cash, I think, through, you know, season ticket sales or through uh, lotteries and collections and things like that, right? And having to pay a licensing fee and this kind of thing, you know, where you're sort of minus 19,000, you know, already again before a ball is kicked uh, is, is pretty rough compared with the competition across the water. Right? And so I think we're probably, I think, doing well even to keep the talent that we've got at the moment, you know, in the league when you see that kind of thing going on. Um, so until the league, I think, matures in terms of its attitude to, you know, sort of TV deals and sponsorship and things like that, until there's, you know, sort of more of, I think, a professional organization around the league itself. And we've seen how hard that is to, you know, arrange even within the national association, right? That at times there's all these sort of competing interests and stuff like that, you know, sort of holding it back the whole time. I think it is very hard to see meaningful progress happening around the league until, you know, that kind of stuff just is, is in better shape. As well as that now, I may have to, I, I would defer to the expertise of those who are more intimately involved in the game, but there seems to be a great difference between selling on a player that you've developed as a youth, say like Gavin Bazuna, and someone like Danny Mandrew, who you've took in from a, another League of Ireland club, uh, or maybe you get a returning player from the UK, like say Daniel Fleary for us, uh, who goes back then across the water. Because, you know, I think if you if you get a guy that's over 23 and his contract expires, free agent, he can walk away for nothing. If he goes before his contract, you know, nominal fee. But it seemed that the Gavin Bazuna deal and possibly other players that even we've sold on a few to the UK who are going at that age, having come through your own internal academy, it's there that you can actually negotiate with a little bit more um, muscle because you're entitled to all sorts of compensation for the development of the player, which the buying club cannot really evade. And there isn't this same thing of standing in the player's way. I mean, they are going, but systematically, the smaller club, the selling club, tends to have a lot more bargaining power. And I think the Gavin Bazunu deal is going to really work out for Rovers because now that he's moved on and they get a sell-on fee, when, when you're moving on from Man City, you're not moving on for 10 grand or, or half a million, you're moving on for millions. I can't remember exactly what the Gavin Bazunu fee was, but... You know, if Rovers are getting five or ten percent of that as a sell-on, and I'm I'm not sure, I'm just guessing there what it is, but that could be a revenue stream not only for this move. If he stays at Southampton for two, three, four, five, six years, and then moves on again for a fee, well, that could be another payday. And I know that we had Val Adadukin who went on to uh, uh, Brentford, and and that may be that may be uh, a. a player who develops and moves on from there and once again we would get a payday from that so it seems that systematically the um the system is structured towards youth development and that might be where you know league of ireland clubs do have a role but then again you face the competing interests of other clubs junior clubs leinster senior league clubs and and then clubs that don't have league of ireland squads but do a lot of underage football uh, and, and of course, it's quite expensive to have a staff who are dedicated to youth development, which is an aspect of the club which 
generally speaking, spectators are not going to turn up in great numbers to pay for. So you're really, it's more, much more of a long-term speculative investment. You can invest an awful lot in developing players. And if they drift out of the game or never make it at League of Ireland level, this is something of an investment that's, you know, not paid off. But if you do get one out of 100 that becomes a League Two or Championship or, or Premiership player, then you do get a payday. And it's hard to know how exactly that balances out, but it seems that, you know, it's quite a different thing than than a player that you might buy from as a 24-year-old from Longford Town and then seek to sell on. But does it not put you back in the paradigm of still that the players will leave you eventually and go on elsewhere? We're talking about the strength of the league. So everything you said is true. And if you develop a player, you sell them on, you get the sell-on fee. And that, used, you know, that happened a bit more as well in the 90s and stuff like this, and, you know, when those kind of... Uh, maybe Irish players to the to the British market was um, probably at its most high profile, but we're still think, talking ultimately about the players leaving the league. And the, 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 it, will the standard of the league ever increase if that's always the mentality that oh we'll get a good payday for this player, rather than can we entice players not to leave? Now I think Martin makes a good point. I mean the 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 geography of Ireland and the you know, if your league is composed of other than Dublin clubs, small enough towns, will there ever be the financial might to have a competitive league in which players will stay? TV deals maybe is the only way around that. But will we ever be able to get to a point um, where we can competitively keep players like that rather than sell them on for a payday? Now, you're obviously always going to expect once in a generation superstars to head on but surely it should be about not losing the best players each year to to abroad because how else are we going to beat this cycle you know um because I I, you you raise an interesting point earlier on which i think is why are shamrock rovers probably going to coast to this league um and it's the consistency i think that you know that other teams are in transition yeah. Plus, they, they haven't had Beavis and Butthead running the club for the last two years. <laughs> that is true. That is true, which is a high, high level of uh, inconsistency. But if you think about something like Derry, a lot of eyes were on Derry as offering a challenge this year. But Derry are somewhat in transition too, because they are constructing a new team to some degree. And um, that takes time, whereas Rovers are generally ticking over. I mean, they've, they've, they've lost some players. But they've also got in uh, back in some players. So, but there's generally a sense of consistency there. As you said, the rest of the top half of the table are, you know, scrambling to put themselves back together. Yeah, we, we've gone very broad in our vision there, talking about transfers and long term future from the league. I think to sum it up, I, I think you know, there it's it's somewhat inevitable. You can't close the ports and airports to keep players in the country. I think they they. The, the message from the system seems to be produce more players, produce them more methodically with more, you know, more structured coaching to do like what Iceland did at a national level to create a team that, you know, performs to the optimal standards of the current best practice in football coaching. And, you know, if you are you're you're you're, you're looking at a future whereby your best players will go to bigger leagues, probably. Um, but if you have more players, eventually you get a saturation of quality within the league, which creates a better spectacle, which hopefully attracts more fans. I hate to, to, 
to contemplate this because you know I've always visions that someday you know you'll break through to the Champions League group stages and you'll get a new stadium and you'll be like say a Trondheim was or whatever and who knows you might even have a particularly good season where you get to a quarterfinal or semi-final or final and that's always the vision that you can kind of like you know get that vibe like we had in in Lansdowne Road when we played Legia Warsaw that suddenly there are tens of thousands of people supporting Dundalk rather than um, rather than two or three thousand now that that may not happen in not may happen in our lifetime it may not happen in our lifetime but what you're probably looking at is um if 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 you're being incentivized to produce more players that you know your 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 vision for the future is when you have a star player and, and they leave like say when andy boyle left to go to preston that you have a ready-made 21 year old replacement who can step in there and be the next andy boyle and that like lots of clubs at various different levels have kind of had to cope with bigger clubs coming along. I mean, we even saw this in the Premier League where Arsenal were regularly pillaged by Barcelona for the cream of the crop was kind of uh, taken to the new camp and, and they were left to cope with nurturing the, the next generation. So some, some clubs can pick whoever they want. And generally speaking, a bigger club can always draw a player from a smaller club. And we kind of have to face a reality that we are a relatively small league with relatively small resources and relatively small support much as we love it uh, but it does seem to be that the producing more players of more quality is simply the solution to a, a lot of our problems to sustaining uh, clubs that can be competitive against one another and also make that impact in Europe because I know we've talked about Derry don't want to twist a knife but their performance against Riga where we were very competitive with Riga and the teams were very evenly matched and we managed to take them on penalties Derry seemed to even in the period where the game was still nil-nil and they had lots of European experience um, and you know guys who had in recent years played uh, for in Europe for us and done really well they seemed to be second best from the first whistle Riga look, and I know Riga have changed a little bit. They now have more resources and stuff, and they've signed players for more money. And you would expect them maybe to have the edge, but they seemed more like if if you looked at Riga, their first touch, their precision in passing, their ability to maintain possession, all seemed several notches dialed up. So it sort of brings us back to this notion that the league has basically maybe gone into a something of a decline compared to where it was six seven years ago, and you know, it's probably going to take Irish clubs a couple of years to get back to that competitive level. And our upward journey, I think we still have to be content because it's probably it's probably our rehabilitation from a very low point last season is probably still ahead of schedule despite the shortcomings of the performance on Friday. Just to bring you back to the actual game on Friday, you last week made a valiant defence of uh, Andy Boyle teeing up uh, Dean Williams for his goal. Now, looking back at that goal, it sort of epitomizes the kind of lack of quality there because even Owen Doyle's attempt on goal is a mishit followed by a scuffed shot. Uh, are you willing to offer a gallant defense of uh, Andy's defending? Now, this is not to twist the knife in Andy. We know he's a legend. He's part of the greatest undock team of all time. He's played for Ireland and everything, so he has nothing to prove. But he hasn't had a good two weeks. He hasn't had a good two weeks. But again, the goal on Friday, I mean, it shouldn't have got to the point. I think that the defending across the board was poor for that. So Andy was very close to the goal and very little he could do. 
so I'm, I'm going to offer a slight another defence again, which is his positioning is kind of desperate last man back. Um, probably could have cleared it better, I think. But the problem starts before the ball is sailing towards him. Um, I think that if you look at it, uh, the, so the Dundalk players are kind of slightly ball watching as it, as it moves across in front of goal, uh, eventually to the shot and looking back on it. Um, I think we were not as sharp. So I don't think it should have got to the shot itself. I think, um, I can't remember who it was, but it one, the player, the ball kind of passes behind the Dundalk player. Yeah, there's the build up is there's Chris Fowler. Chris Forrester combines with Owen Doyle. Owen Doyle, it's the one moment of quality in the movie. He plays a pretty good ball down the channel with the outside of his foot that Billy King gets onto. King centers it. Now, it's centered into a defense which is not really in shape. Everybody's rushing yes. back. And then Mark Doyle sort of tees it up in a similar sort of touch to what we had in Drogheda, only from Andy that time, in that it comes to Owen Doyle on the penalty spot. Now, this is where this notion of quality once again becomes apparent. I mean, we've looked back in recent years and there was really top quality goals, like, you know, the Jordan Flores strike in in uh, in, in uh, Tala uh, and, and some of the goals that were scored round about that era, there were, there were, you know, let's put it this way, Owen Doyle's goal isn't going to get a Pushkash nomination because he seems to take, take a kind of first touch, sort of shins it, it rolls well ahead of him. He's stretching while running, gets a fairly feeble touch to it. It's not exactly a... You know, a, a, an exocet of a shot, and then I, I, you know, you don't want to single anybody out, but Andy sort of rifles it into the top corner. And you look at that, and you think, Well, look, you know, that that was not a quality goal. That was if you had brought somebody along from abroad and were showing them this as an example of Irish football, they, they wouldn't be impressed by the skill levels there, neither from the attack nor the defense. Now, our goal is is similar in that it comes from fairly fundamental elementary mistakes. I know Tim Clancy tried to defend Adam O'Reilly uh, for doing great to get to the ball, but uh, uh, once again, you don't want to twist the knife. But it, it is an example of sort of the, the lack of quality that we're talking about. Adam O'Reilly does get to a ball. He takes a look across and he does something that you're told that under eights never to do: never center the ball across your own goal. He sort of passes it, evading his defenders. You can see that maybe it could have got to them, but it goes pretty much straight to Patrick Hoban. And then, once again, there's the pass out to Kelly, there's the double deflection, and it kind of trickles into the net. Again, that's not going to get a push-cash nomination. That Nobody turned to each other and said, wow, what a goal. It was more the relief that we had managed to scramble in this messy goal. So two very messy goals both originating from fairly fundamental errors in the game. Uh, it probably just shows you kind of, well, it says a lot. It was emblematic of how the whole tie went between the two sides. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm at Rory on this one, right? That I think the problem started a little bit before Andy Ball rifles the ball into the top corner. But uh, I, I've always thought that there's a bit of a problem with Boyle and Leahy down the left, right? That we seem to be quite vulnerable to, you know, sort of balls into that channel. Right. And they tend to get caught quite high. And I don't know if it's, you know, that Derrily he is just instructed to push up a bit or if just the pair of them have a little bit of a lack of pace. But I think that was another example, right, of down into that channel. We got very exposed to begin with. And I think from then on, right, there's a lot of people scrambling, but like a few unusual things happen. I think when the ball eventually comes to Owen Doyle, I think um, 
Mark Conley is sort of within range of him, right? You know, could make one of those, you know, efforts where he, you know, thunders forward and just throws himself, you know, at the ball. But instead he sort of backs off in a sort of weird maneuver, like he's trying to cover for Doyle passing the ball outside him, leaving the entire goal exposed in front of him to shoot at. And again, like, as you say, <laughs> one of the surprising things is that Owen Doyle doesn't use that opportunity to, you know, just sort of pick a spot and place it into the corner. Instead takes, you know, two or three touches and then lines up this weird, you know, sort of toe poke uh, that Andy Boyle gets in the way of. But, you know, it, it's still five or six yards from goal when Andy Boyle gets a touch on it. And, you know, it's not a very controlled effort at, you know, trying to deflect the ball away. And, um, you know, as you say, like Andy has nothing to prove right over the years. He's sort of shown his quality time and again. But we do have competition for places in, you know, the centre half area, right? There's Sam Bone, who I think played very well there when uh, Andy Ball was suspended right after his red card earlier in the season. You've Brian Gartland uh, as well, who hasn't had much game time lately, but we know his quality too. And, you know, you start to wonder how many of these mistakes can you clock up before somebody is knocking on Stephen O'Donnell's door and saying, you know, when do I get my turn at centre-half? Mm. Uh, and I think of all of the areas in the squad where we've got, you know, defence and depth and, you know, a little bit of quality on the bench for these positions, it's at centre-half. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody is immune to going too many weeks with, you know, these kind of performances before some questions start to be asked. Yeah, we also know that we, we've spoken about young players. Ryan O'Kane got a very good goal for the reserves. That that kind of was a, a Twitter hit. But uh, we have Mioa as well, who, you know, stepped in at centre-half once uh, last season uh, against Finn Harps and acquitted himself very well. Uh, so he's another factor in that occasion. Uh, if I am to make a defence of Andy Boyle, remember that Andy... Andy was a, a very, very pacey centre half in his prime and uh, would often get himself out of uh, any difficulty by simply being able to beat any forward in the league for a pace. We know he played a lot, of, or we're told he played a lot of last season carrying an injury. He did seem to um, struggle against some of the very pacey players on Friday night. I think when uh, Tunde uh, Olabi came on, um, he, he kind of it was at a stage in the game that had been... It had been a draining 70 minutes or so and suddenly you're you're faced with this very uh, pacey player uh, with a lot of speed down the channels as the game is opening up. And uh, once again, um, I don't know if Andy still is lingering uh, with that injury that was there from last season or whether or not, like all of us, uh, his pace is beginning to diminish as the years go by. Because, you know, you think about it, um, these players, a lot of them who are part of that golden era, they're now... Uh, past the first flush of you, generally speaking, anybody who watches football, they know that uh, pace can can diminish as the years go by. And that was always such a strong aspect of Andy's uh, game. So maybe maybe that's just to do with form. Maybe it was to do with the conditions. Maybe it's to do with injury. Or like us all, maybe it's simply a, a matter of uh, a time progressing on and, and you having to change your game as a result. I mean... I don't know if the evidence supports that entirely. Uh, okay, so there were a couple of quick people after 70 minutes, but, you know, there's there's many as a player after 70 minutes of tiring football. You know, if somebody comes on with a lot of pace against you, you're going to struggle a little bit. But I think the, the problems that we've seen in the past couple of weeks are not due to lack of pace, right? I think he's got himself in the position on both occasions to, you know, be effective, but hasn't done it once he's got there. And I think it's more of a sort of concentration and execution thing. And if you kind of combine this with the how poor we've been in front of goal, where composure and, you know, execution 
uh, have also been you know lacking i think several times over the past few weeks right there's more of a sense that just across the board maybe there's something about you know when there are these situations that calls for what we just say uh, a little bit of composure or instinct you know sort of playing on that basis that we're not getting that execution correct and uh, it's not just Andy, right? I think, like I say, several things in the finishing as well um, over the past couple of weeks demand a little bit more than uh, than what we've given. So I don't know. Like, there's there's something there certainly to be worked on, um, but we'll have to see if you know the the players can you know manage to to lift it. On Twitter, Shane McGurk has come in to say. I think we really struggle when we go behind. Happy with the draw in the end, but Dickie Kelly should have wrapped it up. One point from two games in hand means that we definitely won't be in a title challenge, but objectively we should be able to hold on to second at best. Sean Connor says, lucky goals for both teams, but definitely deserved a draw. Lots of Pat's fouls let go unpunished in the first half and two hilarious reds in the second. Absolutely massive point against our biggest rivals for the European spot. Lots of, fly, uh, lots of fight shown. Jared Little has said, we sort of got away with a point there. Cherry saved us a few times and we didn't win enough second balls. Still a point against a fairly good team away from home, but must improve to stay either second or third. Jason McKeown says, as I said before, if you had said to me a year ago, we'd be where we are now, I would have ripped your hand off. We won't be a million miles away from the top this year, but I do feel what we're building is a return to where we, were, where we left off in 2019. The Dundalk Empire will strike back. Kevin Mullen says, uh, the draw is a better result for us than Pats. For once, it was a nice feeling coming out. Maybe we got the rub of the green in relation to the result. In terms of the game itself, Pats' persistent fouling and the ref failing to punish this left us struggling to build any momentum. E. Collins has come in to say, yes, Stephen O'Donnell needs to strengthen the squad, though. Totally agree with his recent remarks about it being difficult to do that, recruit new players in Ireland or GB, and signing players and not signing players just for the sake of it. We need to be smart and not make knee-jerk decisions. Don Dalgan has come in to say, is Rob Hennessy the worst ref in Ireland? The ref getting some heat from the Twitter followers there, guys. Uh, what did you think of his performance? I mean, it wasn't a particularly dirty game in terms of like bad tackles or anything like that, but there, there was some incredibly persistent fouling from Pats. And they had this tactic as well of having somebody stand on the ball and then just kick it away, you know, five yards. Uh, this, is, this was incredibly frustrating that the referee did absolutely nothing about. And I think we've also failed to mention the incredible Chris Forrester diving uh, at one stage. Like, there was just that second half one where he lifted off into the air uh, and, you know, rightly got booked for it. But I think that could have been the second or third uh, card that could have been dished out for that kind of thing. Uh, it was, I think, one of those... Uh, less than pleasing sides of the game uh, that we've got to witness so much lately, right? Uh, you wouldn't say this was an outlier. I think in all of the games that we've watched this season, right, this has become a bit of a feature of the league at the moment. Although, in fairness, the referee got that call right. Uh, he booked Forrester and didn't give the penal. And it's a shame, really, because I love watching Chris Forrester as a footballer. I think he's one of the more gifted, creative players in the league. And um, when he's when he's on form, you know he's he's really you you would you he'd be one of the players you'd be looking forward to watching even when he's on an opposition side. But yeah, it was a it was a blatant dive. It looked like something that you would normally only see from an Olympics uh, high diving board, and uh, rightly so that he was pulled up on it. We had both head coach and assistant head coach uh, sent off, 
And you can say that that's pretty severe because the technical area in, in Richmond Park is really kind of like a postage stamp size. But none, nonetheless, it's it's not great to see that, is it? It's not. And I would say that we, we talked about this before, which is this idea that, you know, um, the aspect, I think, that makes Stephen O'Donnell Stephen O'Donnell, you know, it's especially as a player, you know, if you excise that, do you also take with it other aspects of it? Now, as a player, I think it's easier to defend that kind of battle-hardened type attitude. As a manager, I think you have to slightly play the game a bit more. I, de- I always do. I mean, I've always liked battling midfield players who fall afoul of referees because it's part of their game. But when you then make the transition to management, you probably just need to wind that in. Because we also saw the incident at Derry as well. There's clearly a bit of bite still there. And listen, the thing about it is, I, I don't really know what to make of the incident on Friday. But the fact is now you're going to lose him uh, from, from, from the dugout, uh, which is, isn't helpful. So I think that's, yeah. Um, I, the, the technical area is small. You just, but you shouldn't be doing anything. I think a manager shouldn't be doing anything that catches the eye of a referee uh, these days. So it's probably best just to stay put and shout. It does kind of mean Dave Mackey will be uh, one in charge because I presume if the disciplinary council meet, uh, both Padge and, and Stephen O'Donnell will be joining us in the main stand for Finn Harps on Friday. Finn Harps next opponent. We've got a couple of interesting fixtures coming up. We face. Finn Harps, okay. We know they can be tough opponents, but at home, uh, we've been doing very well, and they'll probably be demoralised after that defeat against Derry. So you would hope we'd be back to winning ways there with that return home. Then have our first round cup game. So having been on the road for two weeks, we're at home then to Longford subsequently. That will be an interesting game. I, I Longford, something of an unknown quality as we've not played them uh and you would be hoping to get through against the first division team but then comes a really fascinating fixture on the 5th of august where we host Derry city and we will probably be still vying for that second in the table slot so a result there um could see you back in second and this is around about the time things are going to get very busy for shamrock rovers in europe uh, so it could be an interesting few weeks ahead. Finn Harps up next. How confident would you be of a positive result there? Well, as you know, we, we're now banned from making predictions. The only thing I would say is I think it'll be good to get back to Oriel. Given a rough few weeks on the road, that we're not uh, the away thing this season is is a big challenge. We're much better at Oriel. Um, so aside from the opposition, just maybe, you know, getting back to home base, limping back to home territory and regrouping, I think is the more important thing. Um, It's way more likely we're going to get a win against anybody at home at the moment. So to get three points and get that confidence and then you've got a cup game and then the Derry thing. So I think it's, for me, what's more important is that we get a win at home. Um, Finn Harp's always difficult, but it's kind of, you know, licking your wounds, get back to Fortress Oriel and... um, get another win on the board, I think, would be um, would be great. Okay, well, that is, for, for a game which kind of won't live long in the memory, I suppose we, we managed to talk that to death. Thank you very much, Rory Murphy and Martin Mullen, for joining me for this chat. Thanks for all your contributions on Twitter, and thank you for listening, and we'll be back to discuss the Finn Harps game next weekend.